Good morning, ladies. Everybody can hear me? So if you've journeyed through the book of Romans, through the study that we've been doing uh, with us from the very beginning, since back in uh, September, sorry, you might recall that Bev had us boarding a plane. And we soared about 30,000 feet looking down at the book of Romans. And we were getting an understanding of the Apostle Paul and why he wrote this letter. We then landed into each chapter. We were digging deeper into understanding who God is and finding out about the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what being justified by faith in Christ means. And we have come to realize that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we are justified by grace alone, by faith alone in Christ Jesus. And we boarded the plane and when we did, we would have carried on our passport to show that we are citizens of this earth. But as believers, we now carry two passports because we have dual citizenship. Yes, we are citizens of earth, but we are also citizens of heaven. We have an earthly address, but we also have a heavenly address in Christ Jesus. And now that we have this dual citizenship, we need to live responsibly in both places, here on earth and in light of eternity. What does it mean to live a life in view of what God has accomplished on our behalf? Well, last week, Bev took us through chapter 12. We saw how a transformed life means serving other Christians in love and humility and treating strangers and enemies with the same humble love. After seeing what God has done for us, offering us up forgiveness and grace, our response is to offer everything back to him as a living sacrifice. Our response to God's mercy is to be a life transformed as a result of the new mind that we have been given. We are now to live in light of the good news, not being ashamed of the gospel, but giving ourselves wholeheartedly to him by expressing brotherly love, hospitable love, and love for our enemies. As we continue our our study in chapter 13 today, we'll be looking at how in light of God's mercy, we are to relate to our governments, to the law, and to the day of the Lord's return. I've placed the titles on the board of the three sections that we'll be looking at today. So we'll be doing Romans 13, and verses 1 to 7, we're called to submit to our governing authorities. Verses 8 to 10, after, we are called to love, therefore fulfilling the law. And then as we look at verses 11 to 14, we are called to be alert, ready for Christ's return. So let's just go one more time um, in prayer before the Lord before we begin. Lord, we thank you for gathering us up as ladies once again this week, eager to study your word together, eager to hear what you desire for us to hear. Please help us to understand this chapter. May it speak to us, convicting us on how to live a life worthy of the call. Lord, I pray that you may call my spirit and that you may use me this morning as you only can. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the Roman Empire during Paul's time was governed by Nero. The Emperor Nero, this is the same Nero who would one day take Paul's head, the one who would eventually be responsible for Paul's death. Now we believe that Paul wrote the book of Romans around 58 AD, and then six years later, 64 AD, there was the great fire of Rome. 
I'm not too sure if you remember reading about the great fire of Rome, but it was a fire that destroyed the city of Rome. And rumor or belief had it that Nero had set this fire. But Nero quickly had to put the blame on somebody else. So he turned it onto the Christians. And in turn, this began a series of persecutions against the Christians. Cruel, brutal, evil acts were performed, torturing and killing Christians. They were nailed to crosses. They were covered in skins of beasts, released to dogs, and being torn apart. They were rounded up and tied to poles. Then they were lit ablaze. They became human torches, lighting up Nero's racetrack and even his evening parties. This cruel, evil emperor is the same man that currently governed the Romans. And now Paul addresses the Christians on how they are to submit to these authorities, how they are to submit to even this Nero, uh, an evil, cruel leader. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So verse 1, let every person be subject. Let everyone. So that pretty much includes everyone. To stand under or to submit to the authorities. Why? Because God establishes all authority. God has put all rulers in their position. They have been instituted by God. And if we rebel against them, we're basically rebelling against God, and judgment will result. Submission is difficult, especially if it's a political party or leader that we can't agree with or we can't side with. How can I submit to someone I didn't vote for? We become cynical, we push back, we want things our way. But as believers, how do we move forward and cling to what is right and good? Simply, we are called to submit from the heart to the governing authority. God has established this authority. As he has established those in authority at home, we are told to honor our parents, and we as wives are to submit to our husbands, and those in authority in the church, the elders, who serve in the role of church leadership, or to those in authority in our community or workplace, our bosses, our school officials, our police officers, our mayors, our prime minister, we are called to be submissive to all governing authorities that are, all, that are over all of us. Let's continue in, in verses 3 to 5. We read, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Government authorities are God's servants who bring order and structure. It's for our good that they have been placed in such a position. They protect us and our community. They commend those who do good, and they punish those who do evil. They punish criminals for the crimes they commit. That is their God-given task. So basically what it's telling us that is, if you don't want a speeding ticket, 
simply don't speed. And if you don't want to end up in jail, then don't rob a bank. There are laws established that if we obey them, we will be looked upon as honorable, good citizens. But to those who go against them, breaking rules, causing harm, destruction, and rebellious acts, they should be afraid, for they'll need to pay the consequences of their actions. Our governing authorities have the ability to enforce the law, bringing order, structure, fairness, and justice to situations that affect us all, all so that we can thrive. And so these authorities, the political officials, they are God's servants for our good, as it tells us in verse 4. They are divinely appointed in their office by God. Even if they don't know it or they won't acknowledge it, God has placed them there and has given them the power to serve his purpose in this world. And all authority will be answering to God for their actions. So if our government authorities are servants or ministers of God, should we not be thanking them for their service and praying for them? Not only praying for our particular party that we voted for or want in power, but for all of them. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. First of all, then I urge you, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what that's telling us is that first and foremost, if they don't follow Jesus, we should be praying for their salvation. We need to pray for them as they lead our country, our province, our town, because the decisions they make ultimately have an impact on our families, our churches, and our society. We should be praying that they make wise decisions that God would guide them. We should be praying for their strength and protection. We aren't called to slander, to complain, to protest. We are called to honor, to submit, and to love. These instructions in Paul's letter were written to the Christians in Rome. Christians who were controlled by the Roman Empire, an empire that persecuted Christians even to death. Nero, a ruler who one day would be murdering Christians left and right, slaughtering them like sheep. And Paul is telling them to submit to their authorities. How can one submit in such a situation? Is it always necessary to submit? Are we under God's obligation to submit no matter who is an authority? No matter what the leader is commanding us to do or what he is commanding to do to us? First, we need to remember that God is the highest authority. Our ultimate allegiance is to God. We saw back when we were studying Romans chapter 11 and verse 36, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So even though God has established earthly authorities, he is the highest authority. So the answer, yes, you submit in a godly way, even if the rulers are bad, sinful ones. But the question is, do you obey? Are there times where you can disobey? And the answer is yes. If the government authorities command you to do what God forbids, disobey. If you are forbidden to do what God commands, disobey. 
We are to submit to our governing authorities, but if they contradict God and our beliefs, we are to disobey them and obey God. We belong to the Lord. We have been bought with a price. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. The governing authorities do not own our bodies or our worship. If we are called to sin, we say no. We need to be bold and courageous when it's time for civil disobedience. The Roman Empire, how were the Christians to feel about all this? Caesar Nero reigned and he was a ruthless and godless emperor, yet Paul tells his readers to be in subjection to the government. In spite of Nero's wickedness and his persecution of the Christian church, Paul didn't question why God put Nero in power. Instead, he says that all authorities are established by God. What about Hitler, Stalin, Saddam Hussein? What have these evil men been allowed? Why have these evil men been allowed to rule? God's plan and reasonings may not always be understood, but at times God has used evil rulers to bring judgment on his people and bring them back to righteousness, or he was to show his power in them. Ultimately, his sovereign will is accomplished. There are examples in the Bible where there were evil rulers and civil disobedience was approved by God. One of them is in Exodus chapter 1, where you might remember the Egyptian um, pharaoh commanded two Hebrew wives to kill all the male Jewish babies that were born. The midwives, they disobeyed. They feared the Lord, so they didn't do as the king commanded them to. But they let the baby boys live. God then was good to the midwives, for they feared him and not Pharaoh. They were obedient to their God, not to man. And then the Lord multiplied the people of Israel, and they became very mighty. Another example, there's a couple in, in the book of Daniel, and first one is in Daniel chapter 3, where we read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three young men that were defying the mighty king Nebuchadnezzar, one that was brutal, powerful, and an ambitious, ambitious king, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Why? because they refused to obey the king's decree of bowing down and worshiping an idol that he had made. Civil disobedience. They knew that there are no gods that they are to worship, and they are to serve the ultimate God, the ultimate one in authority. Another one in Daniel is in <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6. Daniel defies King Darius's decree, a decree to not pray to anyone other than the king. The penalty for disobedience to be thrown into a den of lions. Daniel could have obeyed the laws of the land, but it was a conflict with the laws of his God. So he disobeyed and openly prayed to the one true God, then being arrested and thrown into the den. And in both of these cases in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, God rescued his people and his glory was demonstrated. Another example is in the book of Acts. The authorities ordered the apostles to stop preaching and teaching about this Jesus, or they would be arrested and persecuted. Yet the apostles disobeyed the authorities who were in power. They continued preaching about Jesus. They knew that their God was their higher authority, and they were to obey him first. They were arrested, sent to jail. But their response? Peter responded, We must obey God rather than men. 
And no matter whether God chose to miraculously deliver them from a jail cell or to allow them to be martyred, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of the Lord. And later in the book of Acts, even though persecutions against the early church was so prevalent, the Great Commission was put to action and the gospel was spread and the church grew. We must not bow down to evil, corrupt leaders whose laws command us to do things that forbids what God commands or commands us to do what God forbids. Laws that are contrary to love, racism, abortion. Do we need to go with the flow or just try to fit in? Or do we know where to draw the line and stand up for our faith? Do we know when to say no? No to evil and wicked ways that are contrary to God's commands. Are we willing to pay the price and suffer the consequences? Are we filled with his love, his mercy, his grace, realizing that we are to pick up and carry our cross? We read back when we were studying chapter 6 of Romans in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. God's plan, his sovereign will, is accomplished no matter which government authority is in power. And because God has established all of them in authority, they are ultimately accountable to God for their actions. And in Romans 8, um, we saw that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Let's all just turn back to Romans chapter 8. And verses 35 to 39, if we can just read that together. So Romans chapter 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing, nothing, not even godless evil rulers can separate us from the love of God. Let's continue now, go back to chapter 13, and we'll look at verses 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So basically, ladies, pay up. <laughs> if you owe something, pay up. We've been, yeah. <laughs> if the basket goes around, pay up. <laughs> We've been told that God has put these governing authorities over us. Now we should have a right attitude of respect and honor towards them, paying them what we owe, ungrudgingly. <laughs> but if the government isn't God-honoring, but instead they are corrupt and aren't using our money wisely, 
do we, what do we do? Well, that shouldn't be our concern. We are, to pay, we are told to pay up. Yes, pay up to Nero, even where the taxes weren't used to glorify God, but instead they were used for the Roman Empire, building big structures that pointed to other gods. Yes, pay up to Caesar, even if he didn't lead a righteous government. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So ladies, remember, we have two passports in our hands, dual citizenship. Caesar held power in this world, and the denarius bore the image of Caesar, and therefore it belonged to Caesar. But there's another kingdom, not of this world, and Jesus is king of that. And we are to give to God the things that are his. So yes, in obedience to God, we are to pay our taxes where they are due. But we are to give to God what is, is God's. His image is on us, and we therefore belong to God. So we are to give back to God what is his. We give ourselves wholly to him. Trusting him, loving him, obeying him, and living for him. Surrendering in, to him in total worship and complete obedience, glorifying him. And now looking at verses 8 to 10, Paul goes back to what he spoke about in chapter 12 on the impact the gospel should have upon our various relationships. And specifically, he speaks on love and how love ought to underlie all our relationships. So let's read verses 8 to 10. Let's look at that together. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Debt, again, like taxes, if you owe someone something, pay up. When the bill arrives, pay the bill. When you borrowed money from a friend, don't take forever paying it back. Owe no one anything. But there's an exception that Paul brings up, and that's love. Love is a debt that can never be fully repaid. We have an ongoing obligation to love one another. We are not to stop loving one another. We are called to love, and love fulfills the law. It is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. Love, not by works, but by the fruit of a changed life. And if you love in this way, it will fulfill the law. If you love, you won't commit adultery. The thought of cheating on your husband and having an affair won't even cross your mind. If you love, you won't murder. You value the sanctity of life. If you love, you won't steal. You respect what is yours and what rightfully belongs to others. If you love, you won't covet. Your desires aren't for what others have, but instead you are thankful for how God has blessed you. If you love, you fulfill the law. And the law gives structure to love. They work together, and love needs framework. Back in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, Jesus answers the Pharisees when they question him on what the greatest commandment is. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love. We should be so saturated with God's love that it should be dripping out of us. 
in our actions, in our words. It's a love that should never stop. But we sometimes put boundaries on love. We say we love, but our minds begin to go elsewhere. And we start to think, well, so-and-so has hurt me so much in the past. I love her as a sister, but I have my limits. Enough is enough. I love her, but if she hurts me one more time and then asks me for one more thing, I'm done with her. We say we love, but what do we do about that annoying person in our life? So-and-so annoys me. She's always talking about herself and everyone else. Talk about Gossip Central. I'm not sure how much, I can, how much love I can extend to her. Love should have no limits on how much we can pour out. As believers with a changed heart, we have a new capacity to love like Christ's love. Christ extended his love to us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. What amazing love. And now we are to extend that same love to others, an expression of love that was extended to us. In Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Unconditional, sacrificial, forgiving love. A love that may mess up our schedule and change our plans. A love that may take our resources and inconvenience us. A love that may make us go out of our comfort levels. Paul tells us not to stop loving one another in light of the future. And then we have verses um, 11 to 14 to the end. If someone can just read that um, for us really loud, that, that would be great. There's a, somebody volunteer to read 11 to 14. Okay. Besides this, you know the time, but the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now is the time to love as we await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in the hope of that day, that day when Jesus returns, and that hope and joy should be feeding our love, our love for one another. With passport in hand, we are thrilled to be on this flight as we are reminded that our heavenly home awaits us. Live as those who belong to the day and not as those who belong to the night. We're to be alert, ready, proactive, Live in the light, growing in holiness as we follow Jesus, awaiting the day when we will be glorified with him. We need to put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting and hoping in him. When you put on armor, or when a soldier puts on armor, they do so because they're getting ready for battle and they need protection. So putting on Christ protects us from evil that is around us, evil that may try to influence us or fill our minds, thoughts, and motives. Putting on Christ to protect us from sexual sins and wrong desires. Protection from the ugly, fleshly desires to whine, to bicker, complain, quarrel. The list goes on. Putting on Christ provides us strength and power so that we can stand firm in him 
and not in ourselves, loving as he loves and looking forward as we await his return. So now to summarize these three points that we have on the board. We are called to submit. Are we submitting to our government authorities that have been established by God no matter who they are? Do we pray for our prime minister? First and foremost, praying for his salvation. Do we think about the stresses that he and his family may be going through and pray for strength and wisdom? We are called to love, to love one another wholeheartedly. And in turn, we are fulfilling the law. Does God's love pour out of you in all that you do and say in your actions and words? Look to Christ as your ultimate example of love. Ask him to expand your love wider and deeper than you could ever imagine. We are called to be alert. Are you ready for Christ's return? Are you abiding in him and living to please him? If we have come to Christ by grace through faith, not only has this secured our eternal destination, our new home, but it changes us. It gives us a new heart with new desires, new outlooks and motivations and opinions. May we put on Christ and be empowered by him alone and by him fully. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we confess, Lord, I confess that this type of submission and love doesn't always come easy. Sin is ugly and our worldly fleshly desires can be strong at times. Lord, it's easy to put our backs up and think ourselves greater than others, thinking we have better ideas or plans than those leading us or even those around us. And in doing so, we are rejecting you as well. So Lord, we ask that you forgive us for being selfish, stubborn, and unloving. Help us to be humble, to humble ourselves, looking to Christ and living in light of his mercy. Lord, I pray that you will fill us with your love, a love that has no boundaries, an unconditional love. And may we put our hope and trust only in you, standing firm in you, knowing that you are at work in our lives, achieving your will. We await the day, Lord, when you will return and look forward to when we will all be conformed and changed into the image of Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Seeing we have um, a few minutes left, um, thought I've put on here group discussion. If you can just take some time at your tables and turn to page 178 and question number five. Just um, read that over together. And I thought that um, after you've had a chance to discuss it, share some ideas, that perhaps one lady at each table can just close that time of prayer. Um, Praying for our government, but not only that, praying that our hearts, um, for our hearts as we submit to our governing authorities. So let's just take some time and do that, and, uh, and then one lady can just close off in prayer at each table, and then we can be dismissed.